Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman and Steve Grosso. The great American consumer to the rescue again. Retail stocks surging in today's session. Target handing in its best day ever. We are also keeping an eye on shares of L Brands and Nordstrom. They're both on the move after reporting results. Nordstrom's conference call is just getting underway. We'll break down all the highlights. But we begin with a big move late in the session in the bond market. Another possible recession signal being shot as the yield curve briefly inverts again. We've now had two inversions in a week. It's like Inversion Wednesday is here. Hmm. Are things different this time around? Because, Pete, you know, stocks barely reacted to it this time. And granted, it was yeah. fleeting, but we are still ever so close to that inversion. It, it, that's true. But at, the reaction, I think, does speak something about what's going on in the market right now. And I would also add volume yesterday, volume today, at least in the derivatives world, has been absolutely depressed. Steve can talk about the NYSE, but we are just seeing volumes that were unbelievable, Mel. I mean, we're talking about 7 million per day over average is what we've been seeing over the last eight or ten days. So it's amazing how much volumes we're seeing. So with that volume, it gets pretty interesting. But the last two days, this light volume, it's a little bit concerning. It's almost as if everybody said, you know what, maybe we'll take the last week of August off. We're going to pull back a little bit off of all this. So maybe these inversions aren't quite as dramatic, and that's maybe the read right now. I would have thought that the inversion, the reaction to the inversion, could be even more dramatic because of the light because volume. Of the, yeah, right. You, you could say that. It's it certainly buffered, though. We've had some fantastic retail earnings yep. in the last week. Right. There's a number of bellwether companies. We had the retail sales also a week ago. Uh, they, they came out at 1%, which was expected to be 0.4. So you blew that away. You got some insight into the consumer on the lower end of the spectrum that seems to be very, very healthy. So uh, my view is that equities respond a little bit differently uh, based upon the expectation on earnings. And, and because we've had uh, a very good environment, whereas when we really inverted, you know, we inverted back in March and, and, and equities didn't care, yet they cared a month ago. But how, how about how many people have told us, Tony Dwyer tells us all the time, that recessions happen, is it 18 months or 22 mm-hmm. months yep. after the inversion? Mm-hmm. Yep. So why are we worried about it? So we're worried about something that potentially happens a year and a half later or two years later, or could be different this time. I know those are famous last words. Right. And, and what do we see last Wednesday, the last time we saw the inversion? We saw a major sell-off. Major sell-off, and have people become immune to these sell-off or panicky situations And then they say, okay, one good headline out of trade, one good headline about rates moving lower, and the market rips higher. So why short the market? Well, I think Tim raises a good point. What is different this time versus last week is the other retail numbers that we have seen, the strength of the consumer. And if you are a believer that the consumer can carry, I mean, the numbers say the consumer can carry the economy, then maybe that's enough to say, you know what, maybe I'm not worried about an inversion that lasts for five minutes or however long it lasts. Right. Well, especially if I, I don't really know why the inversion's happening, to be honest, right? There's so many weird things going on in the global yield or lack thereof, negative yield, that I don't even know if this is a tell that is no longer a tell because we're in such uncharted waters. So to me, I like to look at earnings. Obviously, looks at, that leads us to the retail numbers today. The consumer is employed. The consumer's wages are going up. Their gas prices are down. Their, their mortgage payments are down. I mean, that's a lot of really positive things going on for the consumer. And we are a consumer-driven market. So 
we should be rallying. So you could have an industrial like recession, basically, you- and the consumer is still thriving. And the, the one that hasn't reacted to it have been the home builders. Even though the home builders have somewhat performed okay, mm-hmm. we're starting to see people come back into those. Rates are moving lower. People are buying the home builder stocks again. You know, to Karen's point, Trump today was making some comments, and he said, basically, we are competing with Germany. And what do we see from Germany today? We saw the, for the first time them selling negative yielding 30 30-year year bonds. bonds. It wasn't and the plan, though. No. They thought go it so would well. be zero. It, 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 it didn't go so well. It didn't go so well. go figure. But I mean, um, you wonder why there's demand in U.S. Treasuries. It's because what else are institutions going to buy? I, I believe that, that U.S. Treasury yields are being pulled down by Germany. And I believe that Europe is really the epicenter of, of where the greatest concerns are, where I think that there's not as much policy uh, in, you know, opportunities in the toolbox, and I think where there's more political discord. At the end of the day, Asia is, is can do what they want. China can do what they want. China has an enormous amount of flexibility, in my view, despite the limitations of their economy. So uh, I think it comes down to also just market, uh, once again, positioning and perception. Uh, when, when we went yield curve, everyone lost their head. Everyone acted like this was the end of the world, when in fact it didn't change the dynamic for the U.S. economy. Uh, the flip side of that today is I wouldn't say, hey, everything is so great, let's not worry about it. You have the same dynamics, global PMIs, uh, some of the ones that came out this week, including those in Germany today, awful. So uh, I think we have to be concerned about slowing growth. I think the U.S. economy is slowing, but the good news here is that it's not going out of business, and I think that's where markets have come to, and that's, that's healthy. Yeah, and take a look at Target and Lowe's today. Target and Lowe's, does that paint the picture of the strength of the U.S. consumer, or are they idiosyncratic stories? I think it's a combination of it does paint the picture of the consumer having strength, but I also have to, have to say that I think there are names out there, Mel, where it really does start management, fundamentals, are they executing? And, and those absolutely are. I mean, today everybody's patting Brian Cornell on the back. They should be. But they should have been doing it back in January. I mean, when you go back to each quarter over the last three or four and his excitement about the consumer and what he is seeing, and his vision has been far more correct than many of the others who said, hey, look, we're, we're seeing a lot of negativity going on right now. Brian never said that. Right. Brian talked about how bullish things were. That acquisition of ship for $500 million was absolutely brilliant. I mean, that's just a year and a half ago. And that, that was they only made $5 million. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean- it, it's <laughs> unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But Lowe's also, the fact that they're actually making inroads, they've got the CEO who's now actually turning the corner, something I didn't know that they even could do. It seemed to me like Home Depot owned it, and that was the end of the story. But it looks like now Ellison's actually turning this, and Home Depot's getting some of that pro-business, the paint business, and some of the areas that it's been absolutely dominated by Home Depot. It doesn't mean, by the way, both of them can't win. I think they both can. Target has been talking about, to your point, traffic off the charts charts. for months now, and now online up 34%. They're clicking on groceries. They're clicking on apparel. They're clicking on everywhere they need to perform. They're performing. Yeah, I mean, Target has really done a great job. And there's a lot to like about this quarter. And the thing that's most important, that was most interesting to me, is how much the stock was up and why. So let's look at a chart we have of of, uh, Target's P.E., Today, Target found a new P.E. ratio. All right, we don't have a chart. We do. Okay. So look at what happened to that P.E. ratio today. Target was sort of a show-me story, show-me, trading at a discount to Walmart's P.E. It's still at a discount. But today, they start, you know, the market finally decided, all right, Target is definitely a survivor. They're doing a great job. I mean, a lot. You, you hit a lot of things that they did well. The, this re-rating is actually pretty interesting to me. It was up more than I thought it should be, actually. I did sell some upside calls against it. I feel like it was just a little too much euphoria. Mm-hmm. Great for them. I'm still long for sure. They're doing a great job. But this was interesting to me. Lowe's also 
up a lot. They did some really good things. There were some questions about their ability to execute. They seemed to put some of those questions to yeah. rest. Good for them. Home Depot up today off of Lowe's Again. being up, which was off Home Depot being well, up. It sounds, so if you're it sounds like they're the trading, trading right. They used to trade as one block. And now right. you have Walmart performing. You have Target performing. And, and you also have Costco performing. So there's w- ones that have the leverage over the suppliers, mm-hmm. whether or not the tariff situation gets any worse right. or not. Do they have the ability to haggle with suppliers? And those three names do have the ability. Well, what, what Target was able to do was improve the gross margin. I yes. think that has a lot to do. 32 basis points of improvement in gross margin means you're going to re-rate. Um, so you know, I, I, I'd like to say I'm not wrong on Target. I'd like to say I certainly don't think I want to be in the big box retailers. And I think that's a place that's overly crowded. Um, Target traded at a massive discount to Walmart, Walmart, which is also re-rating. Um, so how do you explain this? Some of this is just a function of where we've taken this conversation, which is that the consumer is is healthy enough to support, and where are they shopping? The, the, the consumer we're talking about spends a lot of time in Walmart and Target, and, and, and clearly if these companies are run better, they're going to I mean, Pete spends whole afternoons. At I'm Target, there all right? the time, and I can tell you this. The, here's a huge difference, and we always have to point this out. I think it's very important. When you look at Walmart and Target, what are the margin differences? I mean, they're different stores. When you look at the, the composite of what Walmart is, we're talking about more groceries, 50 plus percent, but then all of a sudden you look at Target, 20 percent. And I think that's the huge thing. And you get, you talked about margins, of course, but look at the profits. I mean, the profits being up, the, the, the operating margins are absolutely incredible right now yeah. for Target, and they just continue to execute. They made hard decisions, Mel. They had to close, they had to close Canada. And it's just like Lowe's. Lowe's, what are they doing? They had to close stores that were not performing. And those are not easy decisions to make, but these are CEOs that are making the tough decisions that need to be made so in the future they can see the profits. The $7 billion remodel scheme for Target, that has absolutely been a home run. So, but here's my question. The consumer looks great right now. The consumer looks really strong. Are you building up for a would you rather? <laughs> no, no, no. Why, why does everybody think that? That's, I didn't feel no, I've, got, I've got other. We just got the graphic. We I've got other games Sorry. in my yeah, yeah, quiver. Yeah, yeah. It's All not right. a game, though. Sorry. This is simply a question. It's serious. Honest, it's a, not a, a serious, game, Karen. A serious question. We were just talking about Germany. We were talking about the woes around the world. At what point does the consumer get impacted by what's going on around the world? Or is the U.S. consumer strong enough to actually withstand what is going on? And, and I, I bring this up because there was an interesting note from Morgan Stanley this morning. It was entitled, Wheels for a Slowdown Are in Motion. And their argument is that the U.S. cannot be immune to what is happening around the world and that there will, in fact, be catch-up and there will be an impact on consumption. Okay, that's a serious question. You had a little it's a serious, extra seriousness at the it's end. It's a serious <laughs> question. It's not a game. The linchpin is, is, is the consumer employed? And what are their uh-huh. prospects for employment, right? Do they feel like, I have a good job, or I could even get a better one, which right. is what they all feel now, right? So I think that is the absolute linchpin. I don't think the consumer cares about the two-year, ten-year spread. Oh, I don't, I don't think so either. But I think... CEOs, if they start to care and right. go back on their employment, that's to because me the number have one thing. But we're not seeing them. But we have all. seen them not spend on capex or business and investment. I mean, we've seen that slow down dramatically. Right. But I think that you're going to start to see the same way that we kicked it all off with: Does the yield curve matter? Does it matter this time? Are we going to recession? The consumer doesn't seem to care, and I think that now you're going to start to see CEOs investing through it. It's like NASCAR. You go right for the accident. You don't try to avoid the accident. I don't think they. I don't. I think they're going to start to think that they don't care. So what Some is that? That's real. NASCAR. Right. Me the so they know. They know, or they're starting to think. Hey, hey, we've pulled back on the reins a little. We're uh-huh. so worried about this, that, and this. 
but you can't wait forever. It's like money managers. You're paid to invest. CEOs are paid to run companies. They have to run the company, whether it's a so terrible they're going to build a plant in Ohio now, they're going no to matter have to start what. Having the conversations that that Apple had with the president, saying, "Hey, look, you're giving Samsung an unnecessary advantage over us." They're going to have to have those. Not conversations. every CEO out there is Tim Cook, though. Not everyone's Tim Cook, but they're going to have to invest through terrible environments, good environments, and mediocre environments. If you look at the rest of the world and and how our market responded last year, uh, about this time, the same thing was going on. Okay, We went through last summer uh, basically kicking butt against the rest of the world. That trade uh, turned suddenly in October when we started to see some some data points in this country. The Fed was part of it. Uh, Some sense that that the Fed was was going to... Well, uh, it it, it certainly played a role. We had weakened earnings earnings and comments from conference calls that really sure. cause a lot of concern. Sure. There, yes, yes, but I think we, it was it was both trade and the Fed, and then the Fed really and dragged us down. Yeah. 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 So, anyway, I, I, to, to whistle past the graveyard in this and say we're totally immune, I think is, is uh, I know it's a global economy and, and not as global possibly. We're certainly a lot more immune. Um, I also think that core inflation um, is, is it, it's printed north of 2% for uh, eight or nine months in a row. We do have inflation in this country. To think that this won't feed through to products, a lot of these retailers have been eating it. Walmart can do that. Walmart can do whatever they want in terms of pricing. Not everybody is Walmart. Yeah. Um, Let's pose the same question to a man who would have an idea. He's had his finger on the pulse of the consumer for many, many years in the retail space. Joining us now on the phone is Steve Sadov, the former Saks chairman and CEO. Steve, great to speak with you. Good speaking with you. What's your take on, on how much the consumer can actually weather with all the global turmoil happening? Well, I think it's been interesting listening to you guys talk it through. The reality is the consumer's already been slowing. So if you look at the growth rate that was coming out of consumer growth rate, let's call it the MasterCard spending pulse data coming out of last year, it was growing 4 to 5%. Now it's growing 25 to 3%. So you're already seeing a slowing down of the consumer. If you see more political uncertainty, you see a slowing down in Europe, it's going to slow down further. I think the real question is who's going to win and who's going to lose. It's a little bit harder to win when you're in a slowing consumer environment. But you have a lot of retailers, the ones that you were just talking about, who are blowing it out of the water. So you have winners and losers. It's going to continue to be even more exacerbated. And you have three factors in my mind that drive whether you win. It's value, convenience, and experience. And you take somebody like Target or Walmart, they're doing a terrific job on perhaps all three of those. And when you have the omni-channel investment, you buy online, pick up in store, ship, deliver, same-day delivery, those are the variables that are causing the companies to win. So what's happening is that it's a tougher environment. I think the U.S. consumer is strong. You talked about confidence, unemployment, GDP rate, the real wage growth. Those are real. And the consumer at 70% of the economy is, very, is healthy right now. If you see a slowing economy, which I think you will see if you get a slowdown in uh, the rest of the world, it's going to make it even tougher. But I do think you're going to continue to see the visionaries like the Bryans who have made choices and investments. They're going to continue to win. How do you how do you assess the president's stance on the trade war? And I ask you this because um, the president, on one hand, says that China wants to make a deal, but he's in no rush to make a deal, which makes it seem like the trade war could be protracted. And on the other hand, the president seems to acknowledge that the impact of tariffs, particularly on the consumer, could be deleterious to the economy. And he postponed them till December 15th. But if the trade war gets prolonged, that December 15th timeline will will come and go. And those tariffs will, in fact, go into effect. So. How, how would you sort of navigate that? Well, 
I think this is a difficult one. The tariffs are a tax on the consumer, and longer term, there's only so much that the supply chain or the retailers or the suppliers are going to be able to absorb. It's clear that the large retailers have been able to, either through negotiations with the suppliers or absorption of the increases, absorb much of the uh, uh, tariff, the 10%, let's say, that, we've, that we're seeing right now. But you've had companies like Macy's talk about the consumer won't pay more. And so you're going to have a difficult time absorbing, I think, the 10% you may be able to get away with. But if you go higher than the 10%, I think there's going to be an impact on the consumer. You'll see an impact on jobs. So it's going to be difficult for retail. I do believe that the, uh, you know, the points in terms of trying to get at intellectual property theft, some of the uh, concerns that we have with uh, China behavior are absolutely real and the right things to be addressing. But we should, we'd be kidding ourselves if we think that it's not going to longer term affect the consumer. I don't think you're going to see the big effect this fall season. It's minimal because a lot of the product, uh, some of it's delayed until December. Some of it is just hitting now. It's going to hit it toward the latter part of the holiday season, the 10%. But over time, as you go into uh, next year, it's going to disrupt supply chains. You're already seeing companies source differently, mm-hmm. and you're going to have a long-term effect. Steve, great to speak with you. Thanks for phoning in. Happy to do it. Steve Sadov. Um, so if 10% is a line in the sand, as an investor, how do you think about investing in uh, Macy's or a department store? Any, any retailer that may not have the wherewithal to absorb tariffs. Well, I, I, again, it's I, like an artificial deadline hanging over you. But I, I think we've done a decent job of saying not everyone is built the same in this environment. And, and so we, we, we recognize that the department stores are going through a secular change that um, looks like it's a point of no return at some point. Um, these are business just changing. Um, but I, 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 I continue to believe that there's going to be no way to hide from price increases that are going to be passed through to the consumer. And then we really have to see what the consumer response will be. Um, so far, they really haven't had a chance or had to adjust here. Target seems to have an, some cushion. They increase margins despite higher things like fulfillment costs. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think if it goes above 10% of the tariffs, mm-hmm. can't, would you still be invested in Target? Or well, yeah, I, I think I would, because if it's 10%, that's on their cost basis, right? And mm-hmm. the one has moved a little, so that, that actually Softens minimizes it. a little bit, uh-huh. right? And that's just on their cost. So let's say they mark things up, you know, 50% or 100%, rather 50% margin, then that's a 5% increase. There's still a little room there. There's still a little at room. At 10%. Yes. But anything higher. higher, we are going to start to see inflation. Yeah. All right. Coming up, it could be one of the biggest corporate settlements in history. The key ruling expected in the coming days that could set the tone for thousands of opioid cases. Why the outcome could send shockwaves through the entire drug space. And later, Wall Street's West Wing whipsaw. We've heard mixed messages from the White House over the past 24 hours on everything from taxes to trade. We'll break down how investors can navigate all these major market-moving comments. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Johnson & Johnson set to face a key ruling in Oklahoma on Monday over a lawsuit alleging the company's role in fueling the opioid epidemic. And that could set the stage for other similar lawsuits against drug makers. Meg Terrell's got all the details. Hi, Meg. Hey, Mel. Well, this is the first in what could be a kind of domino effect of opioid cases accelerating into the fall, involving dozens of defendant companies and thousands of plaintiffs across cities, counties, states, and others. The J&J case was brought by the state of Oklahoma, seeking to hold three drug makers responsible for the state's opioid crisis. Teva and Purdue settled before the trial began for $85 million and $270 million, respectively. Now, the judge's decision Monday afternoon, analysts say, could have a major impact on stocks of other companies facing litigation, perhaps even more so than J&J itself, given its size. And check out the market cap losses we've already seen in some of these names, Teva, Endo, and Malincrod. They each face individual headwinds as well, but concerns over potentially major opioid liabilities have weighed on their share prices and erased billions of dollars in market value. That's because of the sheer size and complexity of the opioid litigation. Oklahoma is just one state of almost all of them that have filed lawsuits against drug makers and distributors, and they're separate from the more than 2,300 cases brought by cities, counties, and others that have been consolidated in federal court in Ohio. If no overall settlement is reached there, the first trial in that group is set to begin October 21st. But that's not all either. The Department of Justice is pursuing its own penalties, ringing an almost $1.5 billion settlement from Reckitt Benkeiser and $225 million from Insys Therapeutics, which just five days later filed for bankruptcy. Overall, some say a settlement could top $100 billion if these companies are even able to band together to reach one. Melissa? Meg, why is Johnson & Johnson actually going to trial as opposed to settling, as we've heard some other drug makers do? Well, I've heard from folks in the space that J&J does this a lot. You know, they, they go to trial, they defend themselves. They're doing it on talc as well, uh, for the most part. Of course, they are a consumer products company. They sell baby powder. They sell Band-Aids, Tylenol. Uh, they are a family wholesome company, uh, so they want to fight this, and they don't want to be associated with the opioid epidemic. Meg, thank you. Thank Meg you. Terrell back at headquarters. Pete Najarian, Johnson Johnson feels like a Pete kind of name. It is a Pete kind of name, but I don't mm-hmm. like these headlines. I, I really don't. A lot I, of headlines mm-hmm. from all sides. Opioids, Absolutely. Talc. Yep. And because of that, I'm not in it right now. I'm in Merck and Pfizer of my two biggest exposures in terms of the pharmaceutical sector. But I'd like to stay on the sides right now of this whole opiate thing. I really do. When I look at Teva and some of these other names, I mean, I think Teva's been a Warren Buffett name for a while as well, where we just see just sort of this ever-sifting lower type of a thing, and there's pressure, there's headwinds. So I'd rather be places where at least I understand the story a lot much better in terms of what sort of risks do they have in front of them right now. And I look at Merck right now, after that big pullback, you and I talked about it earlier, but after the big pullback, look at the resurgence we've seen in that stock to test up back towards the highs once again. I think there are names out there that you can be in and avoid this whole opiate thing. Yeah, but why why wouldn't you, doesn't it give you some peace of mind when you look at Tevin, you look at the $85 million settlement, admitting no wrongdoing, obviously that was OxyContin, it's a different beast. But when you look at J&J, they could, they could squash this any time they want. Yes, they're going to go to defend themselves. So you're and a buyer, J&J. I, I, I would probably be a buyer Even on these headlines. Even though we have headlines. seen the stock contained because of the headlines. You have seen the stock contained for multiple headlines. As right. Meg said, you had talc yeah. before that. But you've had plenty of reasons to worry about it. I would not be a buyer of the space, not because of this lawsuit. I'm not a buyer because we're going into an election, an election where it's a bipartisan issue, where there's tremendous headwinds on every front, front for the whole industry. All right. You can read the latest on the coming opioid trials at CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on the show. The retail race rolls on. What you can expect from Gap when it reports results after tomorrow's close. But first... 
Pete is stepping up to the plate with a new fast pitch. The one stock he says could be a home run investment. Fast Money is back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street suffering from West Wing whiplash. Over the past couple of weeks, we've heard the president reverse course on everything from taxes to tariffs. Eamon Javers is live at the White House. He's been covering all of this back and forth and back and forth. Eamon. Yeah, and there's been a lot of back and forth, Melissa. Take a listen to the president on a couple of topics, particularly as you say, taxes and tariffs. Just over the past week or so, uh, it's been a little bit head snapping. Here's what he said. Payroll tax is something that we think about, and a lot of people would like to see that. I'm not looking at a tax cut now. We don't need it. We have a strong economy. A lot of people have been talking about indexing for many years, uh, and it's something that I am certainly thinking about. I'm not looking at doing indexing, and I haven't been seriously looking at it, but certainly it is an option if I wanted to. The tariffs are working. And they're eating the tariffs, by the way. There's no price increase. We're doing this for Christmas season, uh, just in case some of the tariffs would have an impact on U.S. customers. The president also said that uh, ultimately he's going to try to step in here and do something to help Apple because he said Apple is paying the tariffs. So on the one hand, he said that American companies are not bearing the brunt of the tariffs. And then on the other hand, he said maybe he needs to take some action today, he told me, to benefit Tim Cook after Tim Cook made the argument to him. So this president has been a little bit all over the place. I am told uh, that what happened today was the staff briefed the president in the Oval Office just before he came out to talk to reporters about his tax comments and how much pickup they've gotten and how much speculation they'd set off over what the tax plan was going to be at the White House. The president then went out to talk to the reporters, uh, me included, uh, determined to shut that storyline down and determined to say uh, that he's not doing anything on taxes. So maybe inadvertently speculating in front of the cameras yesterday set off a tsunami of speculation. The president wanted to shut it down and be clear he's not actually doing anything. Melissa. All right, Eamon. Thank you. Eamon Javers joining us from the White House. Now, you all know that we're not a political show. We, try, we, we look at politics in the prism of investors and how investors should view the markets. Still, these are very mixed messages. These are statements that could uh, have an impact on investor sentiment, on consumer sentiment, on the markets themselves. And they are very confusing, Steve. I, I think that this is all part of how people invest through these environments, because if, Even the if the president says crash, one thing, keep yeah, driving thing, go right towards the accident. If if the president says something on a Tuesday and then on a Wednesday he changes gears, how, how do you invest on a Tuesday differently than you invest on a Wednesday? So you what should you do is you stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think it actually helps investors to see through the cloud because it's he says one thing one day, one thing the next. Let me just take the flip side of that. I understand if you're which flip side. The His flip side mine, of just drive right the through. Absolutely, Okay, so let's say though you're 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 not an investor. You're someone who is um, importing manufactured goods from China, right? right. Okay. 
you can't just drive through it, right? Because you need to know how much you're going to pay or you need to know, are we ever going to have a trade deal? Do I, can I even move production somewhere do you, else? Do you do have start to, doing so, that? so do you have to import those things? You have to if let's, you're that. Let's say you have right? to, you can't so make you them in the United half. States. How do you trade? How do you trade on a normal day basis? You're a hedge fund. So how do you trade? You make you make your bet. You buy. You don't buy 100% of your position. You buy 25%. If it's right, then you leg in another 50%. Same way CEOs I do this. I don't know that you have the ability to up and down your capacity utilization of some plant. Yeah. They, have to, how you trade. they eventually have to import it, right? So what, after three months of saying, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait, he picks up the phone and says, guys, we have nothing to I, sell. I think it, dep- it, depends on, and it depends on how long the lead time is. It's not sure, like you can just flip it and around. And you start to see inventories like we saw with TJX. You start to see inventories grow because they got ahead of the So tariffs. there is an impact Look, because I, I, of the it's, uncertainty. It's, I, don't think it's, be. I don't think it's a difficult debate to say that it's a, it's a tough environment for CEOs to do normal CapEx and OpEx planning. Um, if you look back in the market since August 1st, effectively, we've had four runs of either down 4% or up 4% or, or just under. So 35 to 4% just in August alone. Um, so that tells you that the market is obviously responding. What I would say to that is, look, the fundamentals haven't really changed at all in August. Uh, and I think that's what people need to keep their eye on the ball, other than possibly bond yields. Pete? Well, I would just say really quickly that you, you've got to look through the, di- the distance of this whole thing. And I think you, that's the point you're trying to make mm-hmm. is if you smooth this thing out and you just invest the way you've been, you're not going to get jerked all around up and down. And that's the way you've got to do this. All right. Coming up, we are keeping an eye on Nordstrom. The stock is surging on earnings. That call is wrapping up soon. We'll tell you what the CEO just had to say that is moving the stock in the after-hour session of 10% now. But before that, Pete is stepping up to the plate. He's got one sizzling stock that he says is headed for a breakout Find out the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a while since one of our traders has stepped up to the plate and given us a fast pitch. So who better to dish out a home run than our very own Pete Najarian, who's over at the Plasma. Pete, take it away. I'm giving you Medtronic. This one's going to be kind of fun, Mel, because... I like what they're doing here with this company, what's transitioned over the last eight years or so since they hired the new CEO from GE, and he's done a magnificent job, made a huge acquisition, made that move over to Ireland in terms of some of the tax ramifications there. And what they're doing within this company is the aggressiveness of the money that they paid, they're giving themselves back. They're actually paying off that debt at a very rapid pace right now for that acquisition of Covidian. And in doing so, they're also buying back shares and they're giving you a 2% dividend. So I think what they've been doing financially, I think, makes a lot of sense. The last thing I'd like to say is, you take a look at this stock and you say, wow, this thing's been on an absolute run. If we pull up the chart, you can see it's literally trading towards the highs. But it still trades at about a 19 forward P.E. This is a company that's absolutely the cash flow is incredible. It's at a growth pace of about 20 percent. So what we're seeing here in a company is a company that's growing into itself. And if you listen to that call today, the CEO talked about 2020. That's where they are now. This is Q1 now. 2020, he's talking about the idea in the second half how much they've got in the pipeline that's going to actually feed into this company. I think because of that, despite the fact that it's trading near its highs, this is a name you can still own. I own calls in this name. We had huge activity in there today. Twice it hit in terms of unusual activity. I think this is a name that absolutely can break out to the upside. Pete, why do you think that the device space in this sector is immune or can survive or can perform better than a lot of the other tentacles, whether it's up or downstream from them? 
Right. I, I just think there's a much more smoother process, Steve. I think it, I think it's something where it's not nearly the volatility that you see in some of the other ones where it's just focused directly on a cancer drug or all the different types of drugs like that. So because of that, it gives them a little bit more of a smoother way of looking towards the future. And I think that's exactly what the CEO has tried to design with this company is to make the process a lot more easier to evaluate for all of us. And when you look at this, it feel it felt a little bit like it's a little toppy in terms of the P.E., but I actually like it because when you go forward, you see the growth that's going on right now in this company. I think the potential is this thing's actually cheap. If you look back a year from now, I think you'll look at this company as too cheap at this point in time. Pete, do you think companies are a, vit- a victim of its own success? The comp on this for fiscal 2Q20 uh, versus their 2Q19 is really tough. It's, it's almost 8%. And for a company that's you know, talking about growth 3 to 4%, this is going to be tough to do. It's going to be tough, Tim, but I would say this. When you look at revenue growth right now and earnings growth, and I think that going forward, their growth has absolutely been spectacular. But then you add those pipelines that I'm talking about. They've got multiple different issues that are going to be able to come out over the next year. I think that's actually the part that's got me the most excited right now. Time to vote. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Medtronic? Steve Grasso. Yeah, I'm going to buy it. And, wow. and Pete, you said it before, they're domiciled in Ireland. The corporate tax rate there, 12.5%. That's a huge tailwind. Bye, bye, bye. Aaron? Well, I could never bet against Pete, but the value in me makes me to pass. pass. That's, back a, that's to a sell, by the way. If it came not, back to 100, not sugar-coated. I would buy it. No, it's not a sell. I would never short <laughs> it. You just, a pass is a sell. Come on, Karen. No, it's okay. It's okay. Anyway, it's I'm a buyer, so it doesn't matter because we're, Pete <laughs> okay, wins. Um, I think the guidance of the management 4% is very conservative. I'm with Pete. That's a great Pete, that by the way. Very, that's a like very realistic. That almost looks like a photo. Two buys on this desk and one pass. The desk has spoken, but are you at home buying Pete's pitch for Medtronic? Vote in our Twitter poll, and we will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, if you're worried about how all the wild market swings are shaking up your retirement plan, fear not, 401k expert. Jeannie Thompson is joining us to lay out the best way to protect your portfolio. You won't want to miss this. There's much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is a record millionaire boom. Fidelity is seeing the highest number of 401k millionaires ever. And the nation's largest provider of 401k says their investors all have one major thing in common. They're staying the course during times of market volatility. But that has that all changed in recent weeks? Jeannie Thompson is Fidelity's 401k and retirement expert and a friend of the show. Jeannie, great to see you. Great to see you too, Melissa. Um, you know, we take your, to your, in, your um, advice to heart in that you got to do sort of just set your sights on a goal and, and stick with it. But at the same time, you are finding that clients are over-allocated to equities right now. So there is, there is time and there is an opportunity here to, to sort of look at your portfolio and rebalance, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, many times people set, set it and forget it, but we do recommend they check at least once a year because in times where the market's had a run-up, you know, we find there's some equity drift and they may be over-allocated in equities more so than they want to be. So it's a great time to check, especially now where there are periods of market volatility, and rebalance so that their, their portfolio is in line with their time horizon and their tolerance for risk. It's Karen. Let me ask something on the overallocation question. What about with bonds now? The you know the, obviously bonds have gone way up. What are you telling your clients about allocating between equities and bonds in this rate environment? Yeah. So the important thing to remember within the four hundred one k, it's mostly mutual funds. So there are bond funds. But you know when someone's young, you know say under thirty five, we recommend about ninety percent equity, ten percent bonds. The short term moves in 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 bonds. 
you know, we, we don't recommend people have a knee-jerk reaction because it's really a long-term play. And when we look at the behaviors of those that have achieved the 401k millionaire status, they did not make knee-jerk reactions to moves in the, mar- to moves in the market. They really took that long-term view, and that's how they achieved that status. You know, with bond yields so low, Jeannie, there's so much talk about whether or not treasuries are, you know, overvalued at this point. And in some of those allocations, bonds are up to 40 percent. If you're an investor closer to retirement, but you're worried about the valuation of bonds, what alternatives would you offer? Yeah, so, you know, there, I would say that they may really start to look at what type of bond fund that they're in and evaluate that, depending on how close they are to retirement. You know, if they're, say, 60, you know, and they have got five to seven years, still things can change within that time frame. But I think the important thing to remember is that once you hit retirement, you've still got another 25 years where you probably are going to have some money in the market. So, again, you may not want to make that short-term move. And it also depends on how much guaranteed income you have. You know, how much are you getting from Social Security? Do you still have a pension plan? Do you have any annuities? So I think you have to look at the portfolio holistically before you just make a reaction to based on what's happening with bond yields. Great advice, Jeannie. Good to see you. Thank you, Jeannie Thompson of Fidelity. Thank you. What would you, what would you say to somebody who is worried right now about, about over 401k and, and how you ha- handle this volatility? Well, first of all, I mean, what we have seen is, is the wealth effect has a massive uh, impact on consumer spending. So that could go back to our last conversation. They, they seem to go together. Um, I, I think the, the, the key is really to make sure that you are either with fund managers or uh, yourself are investing in, in companies and bond funds that are appropriate for your risk profile. I, I still think that a lot of people um, aren't taking enough risk in their younger years. And I think that's what Jeannie was talking about. But I think in the environment that we have. The other thing is traditional metrics on what people will need for retirement are, are totally out the window um, based upon how much longer people are living. I think people yeah. need to be planning differently. And younger years could be 50s, yeah. right? Let's, I mean, if you live so. till 85. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Coming up next, Gap gearing up to report earnings tomorrow. The options market is signaling a grave warning for the retailer ahead of the results. We will explain. And speaking of retail, take a look at our Kramer cam. Jim is breaking down all the big earnings moves this week and how to trade those names. That's all coming up top of the hour on Mad Money. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Nordstrom. That stock surging after hours on its quarterly results, up more than 20% at the highs. Our Courtney Reagan's been listening to the conference call. She's back at headquarters with more court. Hi there, Melissa. So I got to say, this is a pretty strong reaction for a report I would classify as mixed at best. Nordstrom did be nicely on earnings. I'll give you that, but missed revenue expectations and then lowered its sales and earnings guidance ranges for the year. Nordstrom says it's evaluating the new list for tariff CFO and Brownman, addressing it only briefly on the call. The impact of tariffs has not been incorporated into our outlook, but we believe it will be relatively immaterial for the year. So perhaps that's some welcome news. The department store also says the quarter got off to a slow start after a disappointing first quarter, and the anniversary sale was softer than expected. On the earnings call, co-president Eric Nordstrom said the department store actually ran out of its top items in that anniversary sale faster than planned and faster than in years past. So it was sort of left with some unsatisfied demand there. Now, Nordstrom's Q2 net sales were down more than 5%. The company no longer reports comparable sales. The full price 
segments. That's the department store. That group down uh, for the net sales down 6.5%. And the Nordstrom's rack division net sales falling 1.9%. Digital sales on the whole up only 4%. And that number sounds small. But a much smaller growth rate than other retailers like Target, which saw their digital sales grow 34%. But remember, Nordstrom's web business is much bigger than most. It's actually 30% of sales in this most recent quarter. Melissa? All right, Courtney. Thanks, Courtney Reagan at headquarters. I wish Guy Adami were here. Yeah. Just yesterday, he was talking about Nordstrom. The squeeze. And he said, the squeeze, yeah, because 27% of his shares are short. And so here we are with a squeeze. With a squeeze. Or also, so there's that. But I wonder if some of these things are just so cheap that all the bad news mm-hmm. might really actually be priced in. I mean, I don't follow this one closely. I, I, good for Guy. I think Pete's long as well. So, um, I mean, maybe there's a lot of upside from here because it's still not expensive, even higher than the aftermarket. You're long in the options. I'm long in the options. And my, mine has nothing to do with these earnings, by the way. My, my long is all so to do with So it's a longer, it's not like... I look at the Nordstrom family trying to buy it at $50 a Uh share, and then it was trading at 25 just a couple hours ago. And so that's my only reason. Because those numbers, to Courtney's point, they're not impressive. I mean, anything about them was not impressive. Are you going to get out Absolutely not. I still think that the family wants in. Yeah, I think it's all about positioning. Nothing speaks clearer to that point of Guy's point about the short interest and positioning going into the print when you see a stock pop like this on very average, very average returns. Makes you think that maybe Macy's is primed, maybe Kohl's is primed, maybe a lot of these other ones are primed because the positioning is so lopsided right it's now. It's been absurd. And if you think of the moves in some of these department stores, I mean, the CFO said consistent traffic trends. Uh, Q3 EBIT margin flat. I mean, it's, it, there's nothing extraordinary in here, and, and I think that's what investors need to remember on this kind of a move. I, I, I would not be following this one in. All right. Uh, if you thought the retail race is over, think again. Gap reports earnings after the bell tomorrow, and they'll be looking to kickstart a turnaround on what has been a rough year so far. But the options market thinks the stock might actually gap even lower. Mike Coates yeah. in San Francisco yeah. with the uh, options yeah. action. You're so right clever, you guys. I no, I, I'm just reading the prompter okay. at this point. Mike, take it away. <laughs> Sure. So we did see more than two times the 20-day average put volume in Gap stores. It's implying a move of about 11.5% on earnings, and that's compared to about an 8.5% move over as an average over the past eight quarters. Where we saw the most activity was the weekly 15.5 puts. Those were trading for about 40 cents. So buyers of those puts are betting that that implied move is going to be at least that magnitude to the downside possibly larger. And an important point to make, why would you be buying these puts rather than just simply shorting the stock? Obviously, the stock's been under considerable pressure. There's a lot more leverage on the balance sheet now with about $6 billion in net debt. And besides which, we've seen a lot of positive upside surprises from retail names, including now Nordstrom's. Karen, what's your take on the gap? I'm lukewarm on it. I just, I mean, it's cheap, but it should be. So I don't own it. Not long. Yeah, I, I think the headwinds uh, are, are all known about Gap. But then you have the Old Navy spin out, which mm-hmm. is probably known as well. So I think it's a, you know, offsetting. It's still probably a negative setup for Gap. I wouldn't be there. I feel like there's always, just like at Bed Bath & Beyond, there's always a 20% off coupon. <laughs> yes. The Gap, it's, you know that it's going to be 40% off. You know, like, why should you pay full price if you know everything's going to be 40% off Pete, or more? He doesn't pay full price anywhere. Well, uh, that, yeah, I'm Mason. the off-brand guy. I'm he's TJX, and I'm, you know, but I'm, obviously the Nordstrom, I mean, you look at the rack numbers, they weren't that good, so I'm not going there enough. But, yeah, they always <laughs> are on sale. It seems like Gap, it's always that Bed Bath Beyond feel. The 20% off, there's always some sort of a deal. 
11 percent move. That's a big move, though. No, I, I, I simply these guys aren't doing enough direct to consumer. You need to go into that store. And when you do, you're looking for something that's almost free. Um, I don't think Gap has the brand anymore. All right, Mike, thanks for the action. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. And for the full show uh, this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Don't miss it. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is time, time to reveal whether you out at home are buying Pete's Pitch on Medtronic. How'd it go? It was, um, (laughs) there are a lot of Tony Braxton fans out in our viewership. A lot, a lot. So there it is. America is not buying the pitch on Medtronic. Um, 57% said no. 43% said yes. So it wasn't really that close either. Is what it is. Mel, I still stand by it. I like it. I like what the company's doing. I like the fact they've got margins. I like the pipeline. Their revenue growth. Their earnings growth. They really have a lot going on right now. I think they got the right CEO at the right time, and it's, I do, st- do you, still. Do think you like the dance version, or do you like Tony Braxton classic better? <laughs> no, that's God. really a very important. I tell question. you what, I'm a Tony Braxton era guy. I mean, when I was playing yeah. with the Buccaneers, giddy up, Tony Braxton. Oh, so <laughs> wow! I don't even know what that means. That, I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, we are just still saying. there. Oh, oh, might be dang. watching. Different kind of show. Time for the final Holy trade. Cow. Pete, what's your final trade? I got to clean this up. On <clears throat> snap. Snap. A lot of call buying in there today. It's going higher. Giddy up. Tim. J&J, to me, is a very diversified company. So even if their pharma business is under some pressure, by the way, they have the best growth in the pharma sector. I like J&J here, and it's not tied solely to pharma. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, I'm going with what I like absolutely the best. Alphabet. I like it right here. Valuation's attractive. Business is growing nicely. Yahoo. Positioning is so ultra-negative. Coal stores, KSS, maybe you dip a toe in this one. Coal stores. God, I love this that movie. does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.